What great grace, what great grace we have been given in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it remarkable that in baptism we celebrate, especially in covenant baptism of children, we celebrate the fact that God reaches out to us long before we reach out to Him. That His love is sovereign and His grace is, is glorious. That's what we're celebrating this morning. And that grace that we're praying for in David's life, we're praying for in all of our lives to be more and more realized to the praise of God's name in Christ Jesus. And that's our focus this morning as we turn to God's Word. If you have your Bibles, you might open them up to Colossians chapter 3, or you might look on as it is printed for you there in the worship folder. If you were with us last week, you know we began a journey, just a two-week journey in these first 17 verses of Colossians chapter 3. And this morning, we're going to read the entirety of the section, Colossians 3, 1 through 17, and we'll spend the bulk of our time this morning looking at verses 5 to 17. So let's look at God's Word together. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator." Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything 
in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we have now heard your voice speak to us from this, your word. And I would ask that you would put within our hearts the spirit that is of Samuel, who heard your voice speak to him and said, Lord, your servant is listening. I would ask that you give us ears to listen with today and hearts to embrace and believe all that you would speak to us and that as we hear and as we believe, we will come into contact with you this day powerfully by the Spirit, the living God, the maker and redeemer of all things. And that you would in our hearts this day expand the capacity of our knowledge of you and our love for you. That we would find nothing sweeter than to hear your words and to follow after you all the days of our lives. So come and make this prayer not merely a hope but a reality in your presence. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I apologize ahead of time. I feel almost on the edge of tears even before I begin (laughs) preaching today. I'm not sure exactly why, but I'm going to trust the Lord to help me keep it under control. Um, Some weeks as you're, you're in the Word, He simply has uh, more to say to the preacher than to the congregation. And sometimes I I feel that to be true, maybe even this morning as we come before the text of the Word this morning. What a beautiful text. I am am questioning whether we should have spent two weeks and we should have spent like five or six uh, in this text as I look at these these few notes and these words before us this morning, but I trust the Lord will will know what we need as we come before His Word today. Uh, We remember, if you were with us last week, we looked at the first four verses of Colossians chapter 3 and these glorious doctrine known as the union we have with Christ, that we are one with him. We are with him. Look at the way Paul says it just to remind us. Verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, connecting Jesus' resurrection to our, our own spiritually, that we have spiritually through faith been raised with Christ. We now have conquered sin And we have conquered death in him. Notice what he says in verse 3. Because that is the case, you have died in Christ and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so right now as we sit here this morning before Almighty God in this passage of Scripture, we are in his presence through Christ. 
Christ is at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. And you are there with him. And that is where your life is. Your life is not here. Your life is is not in this room. Your life is not in Franklin, Tennessee. Your life is in Christ with God in the heavenly places, seated at the right hand of God in heaven. That's where your life is. And so what Paul tells us in this passage, if that's where your life is, then there is, there's a way that you ought to live. There's a way that you ought to live. If your life is in the heavenly places, lodged away with Christ in God, then you are to seek the things that are above, where Christ is. And we, we sought after that truth last week together as we looked at the first four verses of Colossians chapter 3. We sought after what it meant to be in union with Christ, to have our minds and our imaginations captured by the beauty of what it is that Christ has accomplished for us and the fact that we are in him and then to be so attracted, so drawn by the beauty of what it is that Jesus has done for us that we would say, yes, it is my heartbeat. Yes, it is my passion. It is my cry to seek for the things above where my life is. In Christ, and we said to do that, one has to actually set their mind on the things above. What Paul tells us here is it's a renewal of the mind, that there's a discipline of the mind that is absolutely essential for the believer if he or she is going to seek after the things that are above. Our minds and our hearts have to be expanded with the renewal of the power of the gospel and a vision of Jesus and his glory. And when that happens, Our souls then leap within us, and there's an energy and a power by the Spirit that says, I want to lay everything down at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to live wholly and completely for Him. That's where we were uh, last week. Boy, we could just stop right there, couldn't we, and just revel again in that truth, because I probably, like you this last week, have had those truths in many different ways shook out of me through living in a fallen and broken world. And I've listened to what the world is sometimes called good news or good instruction. And I now need to be renewed in the mind afresh again and hear the good news and the good instruction of the word. And so we could come right back to that passage this week and and just stew in it again and probably get just the same rich benefit that we experienced last week. But we won't. We'll look at where Paul takes us in this passage because he takes us and he says if you want to genuinely seek the things that are above and you want to set your mind on the things above it's going to require that you put off something and you put on something look at verse 5 you put to death therefore what is earthly in you he says and then look at verse 12 put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved and he lists a series of virtues these are the two leading commands or instructions that come out of verses 1 to 4 There's something to put to death or to put off, and there's something to to put on or to live to. And I think right in the middle of those verses, 5 to 17, Paul really gives us his heart's cry for us and his heart's cry for the church. And it's a really simple but powerful phrase. And if we were to ask the question, what is the goal of our seeking after the things above? What should be our goal in setting our mind of the things above? It's very simple, Paul says, the end of verse 11, that Christ is all and in all. That's the goal. That, that's the absolute goal and single aspiration of our lives, is that Christ would be all and that he would be in all. 
that's our hope. That's, there's nothing else in, in that we are genuinely called to except that Christ be glorified in all, through all, to the end of all things. That's what we want to see, and that's what our hearts cry. Everything else is ordered underneath that single aspiration. And so I see Paul giving us right there in the center. He says, this with this, that putting off and that putting on has to do with Christ being all and in all in our lives. And to the degree that Christ is in you and is growing pervasively his spiritual presence and his power by the spirit animating in you and to the degree that he is involved in our corporate body and is true of our life together, that he is all in all in us, to that degree will we experience the joy, to that experience will we know the power and the sweetness of the fellowship of being with Christ and his people. And to the degree that we are not walking according to those things, that we will experience the sorrow and the, dis- and the distance and the heartache of being separated in a felt sense from the intimacy of Christ and the intimacy with one another. And so I want to simply look at two things centering around this question. The question is, how must we live if Christ is to be all and in all? How must we live if Christ is to be all and in all? What would that mean for us to live that way? And two things I think we see in this text. The first is that we must die to what's dead in us. Even though it sometimes doesn't feel that dead. We must die to what is dead in us. Now that may feel very paradoxical and mysterious at this moment. But I think you'll see that that's what Paul is saying. We must die to what's already dead in us. Even though sometimes it doesn't feel very dead. And then secondly, we must live to what's alive in us. Even though sometimes it may not feel very alive. Okay? So that's what, we, that's what we have to do. If we're going to live for Christ to be all and in all, it's going to require for us to die to what's dead in us and live to what's alive in us. So let's start simply by looking to what it means to die to what's dead in us. That verse 5 kicks things all for us. Put to death what is earthly in you. Now Paul is picking up on what he's already said in verse 2. In verse 2, he said, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Okay, so Paul is saying we've got to die to the things of the earth. Now, it's critically important we understand what that means. When Paul says earthly things, he's not speaking about the physical or materiality of this particular earth, as if physical things or material things are evil in and of themselves, and we should abstain from any physical or material things. That's not what Paul is saying. In fact, there's a false teaching in the early church known as Gnosticism that taught that very thing, that taught that the spiritual things, the idea level of things, the intellectual level of things was way more important than the physical matter of things. But that is not the Bible's teaching. That's a false teaching called Gnosticism. The Bible doesn't teach that at all, though Christians have made that error over the years. And the reason we know this is the way Paul says it here in verse 5. Look closely at his words. Put to death what is earthly in you. 
There's something earthly in you. It's not the stuff out there in the world. It's not the physicality. It's not the materiality. He's speaking about a spiritual work that is inside of you whose source is earthly. Its source is earthly. It comes from the origin of what its basis is from the things of the earth. And that's inside of you. There's a work that's happening in you that's rooted in the earth. And he said, that must be put to death. Well, Paul, what kind of things are those? Well, just read a little bit further. This is what it means, this earthly thing inside of you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So Paul unpacks what he means by this earthliness in you, and what does he give us? A litany of sins. He gives us a list of things that are not the things that are above, but these are the things that rise up from a broken and fallen world. These are the things that come when our life is sourced from the things of the earth. And so what is Paul speaking of? He's speaking about that part that, that, that is in our souls known as the flesh. That's how Paul writes about it in Romans 6 and Romans 7, what he'll sometimes call the remaining sin that is within us. It's the part of us that's really dead in Christ, but it raises its ugly head because we give in to it. And we allow it to continue to have power over us, though its power has been broken in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, this is what I'm talking about. He says, listen, your citizenship is in heaven, as Paul says in Philippians. You've now been born again. You've been born from above. Your identity is in the heavenly places. Your positional life is in Jesus. It is not of the source of this earth. But you have a tendency to be drawn back into and give allegiance to that old dominion of sin. You have a tendency to do that. And if you're going to live in the manner of where your life really is, you're going to have to put to death the things that are still earthly within you that are rebelling against this new work, this transformative work of Christ that has happened inside of you. Now, you know this classic passage from Romans chapter 7, right? This great passage from the Apostle Paul where he expresses this battle going on with, within him. As I read these, these verses, you'll immediately go in your heart, yes, that is true of my condition. If you don't say that, you're not being honest with yourself or us or the Lord. Because this is the reality that's going on in the hearts of believers as we fight literally a holy war to put to death those things which are early, earthly and live under those things which are heavenly. Look at the Apostle Paul's words. This is Romans 7 verses 19 to 23. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, Listen to him. It is no longer I who do it, but sin. He separated himself in sin. But the sin that dwells within me. It's this rebel force now that's within me that comes in and overwhelms me. And I give in to it, though it's not me. That's not me. When I see myself falling into sin, when I see myself giving allegiance to the things that are earthly, sexual immorality, impulse, passion, evil desire, covetousness, this list that he's just given us, when I see myself fall into those things, you know what I say to myself? Self, that's not you. That's what Paul is saying. 
So if that's not you, that's a, that's a rebel force within you. And you must, through the power of Christ, through his spirit, put it to death within you. And so Paul says, this is my experience. And he goes on. He says, I find it to be a law, meaning a rule. This is always true, in other words, that when I go to do what is right, guess what? Evil is close at hand. Isn't that true? <laughs> Isn't that true? Just, just make a plan to do something good this afternoon, right and holy, guarantee you. Your soul will be invaded with every kind of obstacle to keep from doing it. You're going to find a million other things, and you're going to find a million other impulses to sway you from what you know to be good and right and true. He says, I find that's a rule in my heart. He says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I delight in it. Isn't that what we do on Sunday mornings when we're here in the gloriousness of the gospel and instruction? We sit here and we delight in the glory of God in its gospel in our inner being. But then he says, but I see in my members, speaking of the flesh, another law waging war against the law of my mind, setting my mind on the things above. Another one waging war against me. And notice what it does, making me captive bondaged again I go back to the bondage of the law of sin that dwells in my members and doesn't it sometimes feel like that in regards to our sin which is like we can't keep doing the evil that we do but when we say that in that way to ourselves do you know what we're really saying we're saying we're lying to ourselves because the Bible's very clear on this sin does not have power over the Christian any longer in Christ its bondage has been broken. Now, that does not mean that we will always walk in absolute victory, but that we will regularly forget that that is true, and we will say, oh, it looks and feels better to sin right now. And then as soon as we go and do it, what happens? We find there's a chain that wraps around our ankle, and we realize that it soured on us. As soon as we thought it was going to be sweet, it soured on us. Do you know why? Because we pursued death. We died to that. That's dead. To pursue it will only bring death into our lives. That's why we got to seek our life. It's in Christ. And seek the things that are above. And so Paul really wants to teach us how to go to battle with sin. And what he does here is he gives us, I'm going to call it two sin chains. Two sin chains in this passage, this list of sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. I want you to see he's moving from something that is actionable, demonstrable, sexual immorality. It's something we do with our physical bodies. We act it out. Okay, it's demonstrable. It's real. It's actual. It's experiential in that way. But then what does he do? He traces it back to impurity, to passion, to evil, to desire, to covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, what's he doing there? Is he just picking out random things? No, he's telling you how you get to sexual immorality. You know how you get there? You cherish something more than God. You commit idolatry. And then you covet. You covet. You covet after that thing that you want more than God. And what begins to happen? Impurity, evil desire, passions begin to rise up within us. And you know what's happening? These are chains that are interlocking. And do you know where they're going? They're going with the momentum. And you know what they want? They want sexual immorality. That's where they're moving. Now, you may be playing around in the evil desire and passion section, but, but, 
let me warn you, it's moving to sexual immorality. That's where it's going. It won't be satisfied until it gets there. That's where it's going. And Paul's making it very clear. Church at Colossae, that's your way of death. These things are linked. And so the Apostle Paul is telling us, listen, sin is not just when you do something bad. Sin has to do with your heart. It has to do with the inner workings and the motivations of your life. Now look, it's the same thing he does in verse 8. Put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Now he reverses it. Well, what's the demonstrable here? Well, it's at the end, obscene talk or slanderous talk. But he, where does slanderous talk come from? Anger, wrath, malice. Th- this is the heart through which that actionable sin comes. And so the Apostle Paul's making it very clear. If you're going to put to death the things which are earthly in you, you can't just go after slanderous talk. You've got to go after the root of slanderous talk. You can't just go after sexual immorality. You've got to go after the root of sexual immorality. You see what the Apostle Paul is doing here? He's making it very clear that what's going on inside of us is what comes out of our mouths. From out of our mouths flow the springs of life, we're told in the Scripture. So sometimes we like to say things like, oh, I said that I didn't mean to. You know, or, or I did this, but that's really not me. It is you. And the quicker you come to terms with it, the more quickly you can repent of it. But the more you like to think of yourself as something other than what you do or say, the further you're getting away from the truth of you. And the Apostle Paul is saying here, be vigilant, give a holy violence to putting to death these things in your life. And so he's rooting this from heart into action. Now, it's almost tax time, right? Starting to get your W-2s, starting to get your 1099s. My dad was an accountant. I know a few, a few tax form code things. That's about as far as I know. That's about the extent of my knowledge. I collect these things, and I promptly hand them over to him, and I know not what to do with them, and he thankfully takes care of them. Now, some of you Let's be honest, in a room this big, you know what's actually happened by, for some of us in this room? We've cheated on our taxes before, and some of us have done that knowingly. It's the realization. Now, you, you may not have turned your in taxes this, this, this year, and if that's not the case, maybe this illustration is for you, okay? And, and maybe you're, you're saying, okay, yeah, that's true, and, and I'm guilty as charged to cheat on my taxes, so this year I'm going to be righteous I'm going to be righteous. I'm not going to cheat on my taxes. I would say, good. That's good. That's one. Give to Caesar what Caesar is due. And that's what Jesus teaches us actually here in the Word. But you can't stop there. You see, that's putting to death something you ought not to do. But there's another, there's another side of this. You know what the, the other side is? The Bible teaches us we've got to be generous to those who are in need. To be generous. To those who are in need. It's not enough to simply not do wrong things with our money. It's critical that we do the right things with our money. And one of those is generosity to the poor. And so you go, okay, well, I'm going to try to kick the not stealing from the government thing this year. And then I'm going to work on the generosity to the poor. Okay, I've got those. Okay, now I've built some margin into my budget. Now I'm going to be generous to the poor. Great. The Bible goes further. The Bible says you can't even be envious 
of other people's money. You can't even covet other people's money. And you're thinking, no, wait, there's no way I can not do that. I, I might be able to restrain my will to the degree to not steal from the government my taxes. I might be able to bind my will enough to be actually generous to those who are in need. But I tell you what, whatever I find in my heart is that my heart still opines for the things which are earthly. And I still see greediness. And I still see covetousness. And I still see envy in you. And and here's what the Apostle Paul actually says here in the passage. Okay, how do you deal with the greediness? How do you deal with the enviness? How do you deal with the malice and the anger? How do you deal with the evil desire, the passion, the covetousness? That's where the problem lies, right? Look at what he says. Do not lie to one another. Do not lie to one another, verse 9. Seeing, notice what he says. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its evil practices. And you have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. I I love this instruction because it's absolutely counterintuitive. He says, do not lie to one another. Now, that's a command from the apostle Paul. Do not lie to one another. Okay, Paul, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to try really hard not to lie. Paul says, nope, that's not going to be how you're going to fight your lying and your slanderous and obscene talk. How you're going to do it is to remember who you are. You're going to do it by remember who you are. Paul doesn't say, hey, don't break the not lying commandment. That's not what Paul says here. Notice what he says. He says, don't lie because that's not you. That's not who you are. You've put off that old man. He's dead. Don't try to put him back on. You died to him in Christ. And all of those evil practices, they're no longer you in Christ. Don't lie because that's not you. That's not who you are. Instead, you have put on the new self in Christ. All of his character, all of his righteousness, all of his spirit, all of the blessing of the heavenly places. That's who you are. When God looks at you, he sees the gloriousness of Christ. All of his righteousness. How could you then... Go act in a way that is not you. After all it is that he's done to make you in the image of Christ. Do you see what Paul's doing? He's appealing to you through your identity. He's appealing to you through the love of God. And what it is he's made you to be. Now look at what he's done in this verse. He says you have put on the new self. It's something that's already happened to past tense. But notice what's happening. Which is being renewed. In knowledge after the image of its creator. Now this is remarkable because this is present. He says this has happened. You've already put on the new self. But guess what? The new self is growing into being the new self. In the knowledge after the image of the creator. In fact the new self is becoming newer in you. You're growing into the newness of you. You're becoming what you are. You're becoming what you are. Don't lie. That's only going to make you what you're not. It's only going to feed on death. No, no, no. Tell the truth. Walk in honesty. Walk in integrity. You know what's going to happen? You're going to be renewed in the knowledge after the image of the creator in whom he has designed you to be. You see, Paul knows that if he just merely gives you a command, 
Commands can do this. It's important for us to know this. You know what commands can do? Commands can reveal the character of God. Commands can expose our sin. But commands cannot change your heart. They cannot change your heart. Parents, you know this. (laughs) You know this. Right? It's like, hey, little Johnny, quit doing that. Stop. And do it again. It's like, don't do that. Stop. Quit. Right? And then you know what they do? They just, they stop. But what do they want? And what's going on in their heart? They still want to do it. Which is also a sin, by the way. We're not trying to raise, you know, well-structured Pharisees and legalists. Trying to raise Christians. So what that means is that we can't simply go, stop, do. We have to go, see who you are. See what Christ has done. See who he's made you to be. See his glory. See his beauty. See his righteousness. Do you see... You see, this is what happens when we are really drawn into Christ. When you see someone who's genuinely holy and genuinely righteous and their heart is genuinely open to Christ and to others, do you know what happens? You become drawn to them because it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful to you. You want to sit with that person. You want to be with that person. We say things like, I hope that person rubs off on me. I hope I become more like that person. I wish I could just spend more time with that person. Why? Because righteousness and holiness and glory are beautiful in our eyes. And God has not merely said, I want you to conform to external standards. He says, I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Those are two very different things. And when we talk about the vision here at Cornerstone, what it is we believe God is called us to be as a congregation is we're not simply looking for Christians who look good on Sunday mornings. We're looking for Christ to come in and entirely renovate us from the inside out. To take every single part of our beings and make it subservient to him and to fill us full of his grace and his love so much so that it comes out of our fingertips and our toes. That's what we want. We want to be able to say that Christ is to be all and in all and every single facet of us and we leave nothing behind. Now when he says that is what is, this is about, then he says if you're going to put those things to death then you've got to put on and look at the list that he gives us. And I just want to, I want to walk through this list very briefly with you of these virtues as we close. My enemy, the clock. We close. Look at, look at this list. Look at what he says then. He wants to remind you. I just love his, his graciousness here. Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Do you, you are holy and beloved. You are holy and beloved. That's who you are. So put on holiness and belovedness. That's what he's saying. Because this is who you are, put it on. Put it on. And look at what he says, compassion. How do you put on compassion? Let me, let me just walk through this. How do you put on compassion? You can put on compassion because Jesus has had compassion on you. When he saw me, Matthew 9, 26, he had compassion on me for he could see that I was like a sheep without a shepherd. That though I deserved his wrath and his judgment, he showed me compassion. He reached down and he rescued me and he made me his own. Jesus has shown you compassion. You can put on 
Compassion, kindness. You can put on kindness because Jesus has been kind to you. David says, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is kind. Paul says, it was his kindness, his grace that led me to repentance in the very first place. It is his continual kindness and long-suffering with me that leads me once again to turn from my sin unto him. And every time I do, after I've sinned the thousandth, millionth time, it feels like, he comes back with the freshness of kindness and takes me up into his arms again. Blows my mind. Humility. We, as a congregation, can put on humility because Jesus humbled himself for us. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Gentleness. We can put on gentleness because Jesus has been gentle to us, though we deserved harsh dealing from God, God came to us in infinite and eternal gentleness, and He showed us the meekness of Jesus. A bruised reed He will not break, and a smoldering wick He will not snuff out until He brings justice to victory, and in His name the Gentiles will hope. Patience. We can put on patience. Because Jesus is so patient with us. But I received mercy for this reason, Paul writes to Timothy, that in me as the foremost, Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Isn't it astonishing how long-suffering he is with us? And he doesn't tire of it. He does it lovingly with a smile on his face beautifully to transform us. Forgiveness. We can put on forgiveness because Jesus has forgiven us. I see the debt of my sin. I see the penalty of that sin paid for through Jesus. I now stand forgiven by virtue of what Jesus has done if we are confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then Paul here in this passage says the greatest of all of these is love. He says, I can put on love because Jesus loves me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You see, what have we just been doing? What have we been, what have we been doing going through that list Leading up to love. Well, we've been doing actually verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's what we're doing. We're sitting in it. We're sitting in it and we're turning it over in our hearts. And we're teaching it through admonition and instruction and wisdom to our hearts. And you know what's happening? As I walked through each of those virtues and applied them in the gospel to your heart. What happened to your heart? I'll tell you what happened in my heart. It melted in the presence of the Lord. And the peace of Christ began to rule. His love began to shower upon me. And you know what this passage says? This love is the perfect harmony that binds all things together. It means God's love is like the conductor of all of the virtues. It is waving the conducting wand. And it is making all of the virtues dance in perfect order in our life and in our community. When Christ, who is our life, 
is our driving focus and our commitment. You see, this is what this passage is teaching us. And as we begin to experience the love, and as we begin to know the rulership of peace in our life, it overflows. And you know what? It binds us together as a community. There's this little note. I wish we had more time to talk about it in verse 11, where it seems almost inserted. It seems a little strange. Why does he go this direction? Here there is not Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free. What's he talking about there? Well, Paul is, is clearly saying all of the things that used to identify you, all of the things that you used to say, you know, I'm a Southerner, <laughs> I'm a Yankee, you know, I'm, I'm a businessman, you know, I'm, I'm beautiful, I'm successful, I'm educated, uh, people like me. The, the things that we used to hold on to that mark us, he says, they're nothing anymore. We could care less about them. You know why? Because all of those things and more are true of us in Jesus. It's not worthy to be compared in light of the status that you have in Jesus. Do you mean to really tell me you're going to tell me you're successful in light of Jesus' success? You mean you're going to tell me you're beautiful in light of Jesus' beauty that's now been credited to you? Do you mean you're going to boast in things that are lesser than the identity that you've been given in Christ? No, Christ is to be all in and all. That's what he said. This would so change us to, to live in this place Oh, if the Lord would do it, that he would send the dew of heaven and his spirit, that this would not be a Sunday morning sermon. This would be an operating truth of our lives and our community. Would you pray that, that the love of God, which binds all things together in perfect harmony, that you would pray that the peace of God that rules in our hearts, would you pray that everything that we would do would be in Christ and for Christ in his glory. Because in the midst of that, what you'll find is utter joy and the complete perfection of what we're called to. In my heart, as I struggle to apply this to my own life, is to realize together in Christ, this is a beautiful experiment that we've been given by his spirit. And by his grace, he can do this in you and in us. Let's ask him to. Father in heaven, we pray. Take these these bumbling and emotional words uh, and use them for something that would be for your glory and the good of your church. Our only heartbeat this morning is that you would be all and in all. So touch us now. And lift us up to behold Jesus. We ask it in his precious name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.